God, I'm just grateful for all the things that are happening in the life of this church. Um, God, I'm, I'm thankful that you even have given us the, the resources and ability to, to let even one of our pastors go and, and rest for uh, several weeks and, and recharge and rejuvenate. And Lord, I'm thankful for the ability to do things like um, minister to our neighbors uh, along with Herndon Bible Church and um, you know, even send people to overseas to proclaim the gospel. It's just, it's such a privilege to be representatives of your kingdom. And so God, I, I pray that even as we dig into our scripture now in Romans 12, that you would continue to impress upon our hearts what that looks like, what that means, the joy of being a representative of your kingdom. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, uh, amen. If you have a Bible, uh, you can open it to the book of Romans. Um, as, as you know, uh, if you have been with us for some time or were with us last week, last week we finished a very long sermon series studying the gospel of Luke. So the gospel of Luke is this history of the life and teachings of Jesus. So we did 55 sermons uh, in that uh, book. So it took us uh, obviously a very, very long time. But, you know, as we come out of this series in Luke, um, so much of what we learned in it has just still been on my heart. Um, And so real quick, what what did we learn in the gospel of Luke? If I could distill it as simply as possible, I, I think it's this, that that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, he is the Messiah, and he came, and when he came, he started a kingdom. He inaugurated a, a kingdom. And the people of God were expecting God to send a Messiah, the Jews, to send a Messiah to start a kingdom. But the way they thought that was gonna go was not what Jesus did. Right? They thought Jesus was going to establish the kingdom of God right there, the nation of Israel, take over the world. That was it for all of eternity. But Jesus had something different in mind. He started this kingdom, and he compared the kingdom to a mustard seed. He said it's going to be like a mustard seed that starts really, really small, but over time is going to grow into something massive. See, because what Jesus had in mind was not starting a political kingdom per se, but what he had in mind was starting a kingdom in the hearts of people. So he was going to redeem people, go to the cross, forgive them of their sin, raise from the dead, give them new life, begin this process of transformation. That would be called the church and it would begin to spread. It would start really small, like 11 people small, but then begin to grow over time, this kingdom. And so, and then at the end of Luke, at the end of the gospels, we get the kingdom expansion strategy, right? How, how is this kingdom going to grow? And so, for example, at the end of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus gathers his disciples, the first people, right, to be a part of the kingdom. And he says, here, here, here it is. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why? Because I just died on the cross and rose again from the dead. I'm king. All authority has been given to me. And he says, go make disciples of all nations. All right? So not just the Jews, all nations. All right? What do he say? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So proclaim the gospel to them. Get them in the kingdom. 
and teach them all that I have commanded them. Teach them the ways of the kingdom. There's your mission. Uh, in the book of Acts, chapter one, um, which is really a continuation of Luke. It's written by Luke. It's like Luke part two uh, is the book of Acts. In chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says to the disciples before he ascends to be with the father, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, this city where you're at right now, and Judea, the surrounding region, and Samaria, go out a little further, and to the ends of the earth. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are ambassadors of Christ, that God is making his appeal to the world through us. And so the, the kingdom expansion strategy is, is really, really simple. It's this, it's us. We are the strategy. It's, it's us being representatives of the kingdom of God, declaring the gospel to those around us and living out the kingdom of God. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, you are a representative of God's kingdom and you are called to represent God's kingdom to everyone, to people in the church and outside the church. And so as we are closing Luke, as we're getting done with this long series, I, there's just still, there was just this desire in my heart to continue to ask the question, okay, how? How do we represent God's kingdom? I, I want to equip us from God's word more in how we represent God's kingdom. And yes, the easy answer to the how question is through evangelism, through preaching, heralding, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who will hear us. That is how we represent God's kingdom. But I think the Bible also has something to say about the fact that the way that we represent God's kingdom is also through our attitude and our temperament and our character. That, that Jesus is doing something inside of us. He's changing and transforming us little bit by little bit. And we begin to live our lives, not according to the patterns of this world, but according to the ways of the kingdom. And I think we have a problem here. Not, not specifically Grace Hill, just looking at the church at large, I think we have this, this problem of the church representing the kingdom of God primarily with our lips, but our presence, our attitude, our character, our temperament, the way that we come across to other people doesn't always often match. Dallas Willard um, wrote a great book. He's a theologian, and he wrote a great book called The Renovation of the Heart. Uh, Evan pointed this quote out to me um, last week. Um, he, he says this ab about this topic. It's, it's a harsh critique, but I'm gonna read it. I have it. It's a long quote, so I have it on the screen if you can follow along. He says this, a fundamental mistake of the church today is that it takes as its basic goal to get as many people as possible ready to die and go to heaven. It aims to get people into heaven rather than to get heaven into people. Now, the project is self-defeating. It implodes upon itself because it creates groups of people who may be ready to die, but clearly are not ready to live. They rarely can get along with, other, uh, with one another, much less those outside. 
Often their most intimate relations are tangles of reciprocal harm, coldness, and resentment. They have found ways of being Christian without being Christ-like. As a result, they actually fall far short of getting as many people as possible ready to die because the lives of the converted testify against the kingdom of God. The way to get as many people into heaven as you can is to get heaven into as many people as you can. That is to follow the path of genuine spiritual transformation or full throttle discipleship to Jesus. When we are counting up results, we also need to keep in mind the multitudes of people surrounded by churches who will not be in heaven because they have never to their knowledge seen the reality of Christ in a living human being. That's a harsh critique. That cuts a little deep. But I think it's a fair critique when we look at the the church at large right now. I think we have majored on right theology, which is good and should be celebrated, but maybe have minored in Christ-likeness. Meaning that if we're, we're more tolerant of being less Christ-like so as long as our theology is correct, and we're less tolerant of wrong theology. So, you know, at Grace Hill, we have one of our core values is we want, we want to seek to understand our own hearts and its impact on others. And so what I want us to do is I just want us to humbly examine ourselves as a church and, and ask the question, How does Jesus call us to represent him to others, not just with the things that we say, but also in our attitude, also in our temperament, in the ways that we treat other people, the way that we come across to other people? And I can't think of a better chapter in scripture to challenge us with that and to instruct us in that than Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. So we're gonna jump into a short sermon series together, just four weeks, breaking down Romans chapter 12 together in a series that I'm entitling, A Delight to Be Around. Because when I read Romans chapter 12 and I try to take in all of what it says to us, the the resounding idea that pops out to me is that followers of Jesus who have been redeemed by Jesus, saved by Jesus, brought into his family, ought to be people who are a delight to be around. And we're going to break down what I mean by that. And we're going to break down all the caveats, different things. Yes, there's lots to say in Romans 12, but... As a whole, we are called to exude the presence and the attitude and the love and the care of Christ to all of us, to all everyone around us. And as a church, I want us to sink deeply into Romans 12 and ask God to grow us in that area as we seek to understand our hearts and how they impact others. And so let's jump into Romans 12 together. A couple of things I want you to know about Romans 12 before we read the first two verses here. Um, So Romans 12 is 12 chapters into this book we have in the Bible called Romans, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. Now, this follows a pattern that Paul often uh, has in his letters, 
which is he takes the first several chapters of his letters to write about theology, right? To write about who God is, who we are, about what Christ has done for us. He breaks down the gospel. And then he takes some uh, of the final chapters in his letter to go to application, Hey, how should this impact your day-to-day life? He gets very practical at the end of his letters. If you go read them, you would observe that. And so obviously, the book of Romans, especially chapters 1 to 11, is like the most thorough explanation of the gospel that we have in Scripture. I mean, this is like Paul's systematic magnum opus, here is what Christ has done for us. And so when we hit chapter 12, it's okay. Now that we see that, believe that, celebrate that, how should that impact the way that we live our life? And he gets super practical in chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, all right? He he hits all kinds of different topics. And so what we get in Romans 12 is a lot of commands, a lot of very practical, here's how you should treat people. Here's how, what you should do in the face of evil. Here's how you should regard your enemies. Here's what you should do when you get persecuted. Here's how you should uh, treat your brothers and sisters in Christ at the church. He gets very specific in Romans 12. And the thing that you need to know is that those commands are not arbitrary. They're not arbitrary. They're not just kind of, okay, now that we've got the theology out of the way, let me give you a list of things that you need to do. No, they flow out of everything that we read in the letter so far. And that's why I had Dan come up here and read a bunch of passages out of Romans. Because I wanted us to be reminded, right? In in Romans chapter 1 that it says that what sin is, is this reality that we were created for God to be our king. And we said, no, thank you. I want to be king of my life. I want to call the shots. And it literally says, we thought we were wise, right? But we were really fools. And Romans 3 reminds us that no one's good. No one seeks God. No one is righteous. There's not one person who has lived a righteous enough life other than Jesus himself to earn the favor of God, that we all deserve the judgment of God, eternal judgment of God. There's not one of us who has lived a good life on the world's standards that would be exempt from God's judgment. I mean, bleak picture Romans paints. And then in Romans 5, it turns, right? But God, because he loved us, right? He stepped forward. He initiated, right? While we were still sinning, not seeking him, not trying to get our life right, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us and explains to us that Jesus goes to the cross and he lives, well, he he comes first and he lives this righteous life that none of us could live. And then he goes to the cross to die the death that we all deserve to die. And through that, we're given his righteousness. It literally said in Romans 8 that you fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. Not because you did any of it, but it's because Jesus did. And so there's therefore no condemnation for those who believe in Jesus and trust in him. There is none. In fact, nothing can separate you from his love for all of eternity. This is all, these are all the things that Paul is laying out in Romans, just explaining 
This is what Christ has done for us. So let me just say first, before we move on, if, if you're here and you don't trust in Jesus as your Savior, Romans 10 says to us, That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, that you will be saved. That that's all that's required for the forgiveness of Jesus on the cross to be applied to you, for you to be brought into God's family and forever his. And for him to begin to do a work of transformation and healing in your heart. That's all that's required. This is everything that we're getting in the book of Romans. And then we come to Romans 12. All right, so it's not read Romans 12 as a list of arbitrary commands. All right, Paul just laid out the good news for us and then says, so therefore, here's what your life can look like as Jesus begins this process of transformation inside of you. And that's how we start Romans 12. Let me read the first two verses for us. It's the only verses we're gonna cover today. Romans 12, one and two. In light of everything we just said, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, so that's Paul saying, in light of chapters one to 11, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't live according to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so what we have here is this encouragement, this command, this, okay, in light of what Christ has done for you, present your body as a living sacrifice and then be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God wants to do a work of transformation in you, a work of change in you. And through offering your body, which we'll talk about, and the transformation through the renewal of your mind, which we'll talk about, you'll be able to discern God's will and what is good and right and perfect. And then the rest of chapter 12, verses three, all the way through verse 21, he gets real specific on what that will looks like. He gets real specific on the way that this would get played out in your life, on if we do offer our bodies and if we do allow our minds to be transformed and renewed, what that would look like in the way that we live. He gets very specific, and in chapter 12, he pretty much zeroes in on our character, our attitude, our temperament, how we treat people, how we treat our enemies, how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ, what we do in the face of evil, how we engage in a culture that's against the way that we believe we should live as representatives of God's kingdom. Those are the things that he is zeroing in on. And he's saying it all in light of this reality that because God has come for us when we didn't deserve it and because there's no condemnation over us, we ought to live our lives in such a way that we're a delight to be around. 
Just look at Romans 12 for a second. Like, let's just, I'm just going to peruse for a second, right? I mean, we get commands in here like, hey, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Like, here, that's, that's what your relationship in the church should look like. We just outdo. We try to, like, I'm going to be better at honoring you than you're going to honor me. Right? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We get things like don't repay evil for evil. We get things like bless those who persecute you, right? Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, it says. Don't curse those people. We get things like don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Be hospitable. We get things like trust God in the face of evil here in Romans chapter 12, right? Serve your enemies. Love your enemies here in Romans chapter 12. Do what is honorable in the sight of all. What else do we get in here? We're not allowed to take vengeance on people. As far, this is verse 18. I'm just literally perusing, right? As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Right? These are very big, all-encompassing commands. Like, not a lot of caveats given, Right? Not a lot of like, hey, live peaceably with all, but you don't have to in these circumstances. We don't get that. It's just here is what a Christian living in this world should be like. But here's the thing. When I look at this list of commands, when I look at this, these characteristics of a Christian in Romans 12, I see someone who's incredibly secure, incredibly emotionally stable, someone with deep abiding trust in God and someone with a whole lot of self-control. I, I don't know if I, I don't embody all that. I mean, th- th- this list is not like an easy, like just put it up on the whiteboard and try real hard to live this way, even when you get mad. I think we have a problem. There's a, there's a disconnect between what we believe, what we believe theologically about God, what we believe about the gospel and what Christ has done for us, and our character and how that impacts our character. Right, this is a tough, tough list to live out. You can't just flip a switch and all of a sudden live peaceably with all. There's things going on inside of us that prevent us from doing this. Let's just be honest. None of us can just simply try harder and we do all this list, right? See, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two is a very helpful pivot point in this book that we need to zero in on here. See, I think one of the reasons for the disconnect between our theology and the way that we live and and how hard it is to live out these things is because I think we've majored on theology and minored on Christ-likeness. I think the reason for the disconnect is we've majored on theology and we've minored on anthropology. So theology being what we believe about God and anthropology being what does God say about who we are? How did God create us? How do we as humans live? How do our hearts and our minds work? What does transformation actually look like? That's anthropology. 
And we've majored on theology. Here's what God says. But sometimes we don't talk a whole lot about anthropology. And Romans 12 is all about anthropology. It's all about how we live. And I believe verses 1 and 2 pivot from theology to anthropology. There's two phrases here in the scripture that I I just want us to get in verses 1 and 2. The first phrase I want to zero on is this idea of present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's in verse 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And the second phrase I want us to zero on is this idea of being transformed by the renewal of our mind. And I think the reason why we have this disconnect between our theology and our anthropology is because I think many of us, maybe all of us, believe or have been taught or were brought up with this idea that renewal of the mind means more knowledge. That in order for your mind to be renewed, you need to accumulate more knowledge. In order to be spiritually transformed, you need more knowledge. Now, Let me just say, I don't believe you can be spiritually transformed. I don't believe your mind can be renewed unless we grow in our knowledge of God's word. Indispensable. You cannot be renewed. You cannot be transformed without growing in knowledge of God's word. But it's not just growing in knowledge of God's word. I don't believe that our minds can be renewed without the act of offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. We are told to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, and in that, we will be transformed through the renewal of our minds. This interesting word, body, here in Romans 12.1, there's two words in Greek for body. You got soma and sarx. Sarx is like your flesh, physicality. Soma is like a more holistic term. It's your body, it's your soul, it's your mind, your emotion, your will, kind of everything that makes you, you. That's soma. And we are told to offer that, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And so here's what I mean when I say, I don't believe that our minds can be renewed and spiritual transformation can occur without offering our bodies Here's what I mean by that. You know, if the reason, looking at Romans 12, that I find it difficult to encourage and honor other people, as I'm commanded to do here in Romans 12, is because I have friends and family who have deeply hurt me, and therefore I just don't have it in me to honor people, I've kind of closed into myself. That's a part of your body that God has said, I need you to offer that to me. If the reason why I'm harsh with my spouse and I have a hard time speaking kind words is because I have so much bitterness inside of me because of the way they have treated me or because of expectations that I've had on them that are unfair, That's a part of your body that you've been called to offer. If the reason why I can't trust God in the face of evil, I can't trust God with things that are happening in the world is because I have suffered some atrocities. I have gone through some really hard things, as I know some of you have. That grief and fear is part of your body that you've been called to offer. 
If the reason why I can't serve the church with joy, there's a whole section on serving the church with joy here in Romans 12. It's because, you know what? I've been used and manipulated and abused in the church in the past, and I just don't trust it. That fear and experience is a part of your body that you've been called to offer as a living sacrifice, right? If, if the reason why I can't live peaceably with all as we will get to in Romans chapter 12 is because I've been taken advantage of in my life and I just can't do that. Well, that's, that experience is a part of your body that you have been called to sacrifice. It's a part of your body that Christ has declared, did you read it in verse one? Holy and acceptable to God. That he knows it, he's cleansed it, and he now wants you to offer it to him. See, offering our bodies means offering all of us, not just our knowledge, but all of our experiences and all of our fears and all of our anger and all of our hurt and everything that we've gotten to, offering that, even the things that we would rather keep deeply hidden, because these are the things that will most potently affect your attitude and your character and your Christ-likeness. These are the things that will get in the way of your relationships. These are the things that will hold you back from the joy that Romans 12 is offering all of us. So you can be full of knowledge of God's word and full of anger at the same time. Full of knowledge of God's word and yet not trust anybody because of your hurt at the same time. You can be full of knowledge of God's word, full of disbelief. You know, if you grew up in the church, I'm not saying this is everyone's experience, but just our culture this day in the last several decades, right? If you grew up in the church, you probably were told with things like this, hey, like, suck it up, read your Bible, pray, get over it, let's go. It's probably how you were told to deal with this stuff. And that's not offering it to the Lord. That's not offering your body as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. And it will hold back the transformation and the renewal of your mind. That's not the kind of transformation God wants for you. And so in this series, as we dig through Romans 12, we're gonna ask, what does it mean? What does that even mean to offer this stuff? To offer my anger and my hurt and those things that cause me to have hard relationships. What does that even mean? We're gonna talk through what does it mean to exist as representative of God's kingdom in this culture that's hostile to what we believe? How do we be a delight to be around in the midst of that and represent God? We're gonna ask, what does life together look like in the church? How do we exist as a really messy church with a bunch of messy people who are in the middle of their transformation and love and care and be long-suffering with one another? These are the things that we're going to engage in this series. But today, I'm way over time, but today we need to just be rooted in and reminded of what Romans says about who God is and who we are as we engage on this journey. Romans says, you rejected him, but he came after you that he offered his body for you and that there is now no condemnation over you. Your future is secure and he is now going to do a work of transformation in you that will lead to freedom and joy. 
right? Here's the thing I want all of us to walk away with this morning is this. And Nick, Eric, if y'all want to make your way up, you can do that. I want you to walk away with this. That obedience to Christ, right? Reading these commands in Romans 12 and, and seeking to live them out. Obedience doesn't flow from a heart that doesn't want to do that stuff, but tries to force itself to because it thinks it should. That's not where obedience flows. No, obedience flows from a heart of worship, which is literally offering your body, right? That is your spiritual worship, Romans 12 says. It flows from a heart that trusts God, that says, God, I believe your word when it says that my body is now holy and acceptable to you. And so I can trust you with everything that I've gone through. I can trust you with everything that I've struggled with. I can trust you with the sin that still lurks in my heart that I don't want anyone to see. I can trust you with all of that. And I can present my body as a living sacrifice for you to begin the work of transformation and renewal. Obedience flows from a heart that trusts God and believes that every single one of his commands are for your joy and your freedom. So here's my question. Do you trust God with your body, your entire body, everything that's in you? Because that's the kind of transformation God wants for you. Everything. You know, our mission here at Grace Hill is to be a diverse community that follows Jesus, loves people, and is safe to be known. And the reason why we wanna be safe to be known is because we wanna be a church of people that offers our entire bodies to Christ as our spiritual worship and wants a transformation to occur in us and renewal to occur in us of everything. We wanna offer ourselves for God to have his way with us so that we can discern what his will is, what is beautiful and good and perfect, and we can live in it as we represent God's kingdom. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I'm excited for our study of Romans 12. And God, I pray right now that you would do a work by your spirit of taking the truth of your word and beginning to transform us in every single part of our heart and body and mind and soul that God, we would be people who trust what your word says, that we are now holy and acceptable to you because of what Christ has done for us. And therefore we can trust you with the junk that's in us. We can truly explore what is transformation, what does healing look like? And so God, I, I pray you would begin that in us. God, my ultimate prayer is that you would be glorified through Grace Hill that we would represent your kingdom well, that we would be a people who exude the aroma and the presence of Christ because you have done the work of renewal and transformation in us. In Christ's name, amen.